Hi, folks. This is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is uh, November the 15th, 2017. It's a Wednesday. We are back to our regularly scheduled programming, which means it is time for an interview. I have the awesome Cat Ellis online, ready to uh, have a great interview and a great discussion about, well, if you know Cat from Facebook and social media, you know it's it's going to be about herbal medicine. She is an herbal medicine expert, and we are going to talk to her today about all kinds of things to do with herbal medicine. We're going to talk about you know, how she got into it in the first place and why she did, how it applies to prepping, why she herself is a prepper. We're going to talk about antibiotic, exist, uh, antibiotic resistance and herbal alternatives. We're talking about how to talk to people to say, well, herbs don't work. Uh, we're going to talk about all kinds of cool stuff. We'll get to all of that in just a minute. Before we do, let's go ahead and hear from our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor of the day, number one today, is BulkAmmo.com. Hey, look, I believe in the Second Amendment of the United States. I believe in the right to keep and bear arms, even if there wasn't a Second Amendment. I believe that you should own guns. I believe you should own as many guns as you want. I was going to say lots of them, but I don't really believe that. You should own what you want as long as you own it responsibly. But I also know this. If you have a gun and no ammo, <clears throat> you have something pretty much useless unless you want to you know, like use it as a club or maybe go hawk it at the pawn shop or sell it to somebody or trade it. It, it can't perform its function as a gun without ammunition, and you can't obtain the ability to run it optimally unless you train with it, and that also requires ammunition. So you need ammo. So where are you going to get it? You're going to cruise on over to BulkAmmo.com, where you'll find all the common calibers at the best pricing you're going to find online. Quick shipping, so fast you won't even understand how it got to your property as quickly as it did. You're just going to be like, I can't believe it got here this quickly. And if you are an MSB member, you can check out that we have discount for you as well in the benefits section of the MSB when you stock them up on ammo, which you should be doing anyway. Next up today, Self-Reliance Magazine. Next up today, Self-Reliance Magazine. You know, the people at Self-Reliance figure whether you live deep in the woods or on the top floor of a high-rise apartment, they truly believe that you can enrich your life by becoming more self-reliant. Their magazine contains articles on cooking, DIY information, gardening, livestock, foraging, building, and preparedness. Self-Reliance Magazine is available in a printed edition and for Amazon Kindle. You can learn more at self-reliance.com. Next up, let's take a look at the year in history. We are in the year 70. We covered the first half of the year 70, it seems like forever ago, with the workshop in between. But today we have, from Southpaw Ben on the TSP Wiki at tspwiki.com, Batavian Revolt. In the Roman province of Gurabua, Gurabua Inferior, which is the southern-day Netherlands, And in North Ryland, the Batavi tribe started a revolt. The Batavi tribe was a relatively small, but was militarily and politically powerful tribe in the region. When it began its revolt, several neighboring Germanic and Celtic tribes, both from inside and outside the Roman Empire, joined in its battle. With this force, Prince Gaius Julius Civilis of the Batavian tribe was able to defeat the Romans in several pitched battles and declare Batavia its own country. However, disaster struck when Civilis decided he wanted to destroy the second Roman legions he had battled and not just establish an independent Gaelic kingdom. A prophetess named Valletta had a predicted in earlier defeats of the Romans, now foresaw a complete defeat of the Roman Empire by Civilis, was given com the commander of the officers of the legions as slaves. As this proved to Rome that the rebellion was an existential threat, 
Vespian decided to act soon as he controlled the empire. Upon hearing this, the tribes within the new Gaelic kingdom wanted to surrender, causing disputes to break out between the tribes, which destroyed the intertribal cooperation that had allowed the rebellion to be successful. When the legions arrived, they were able to defeat the tribal coalition, though there was enough resistance that Civilis was able to negotiate good terms, which favored his tribesmen and resumed their good relationship with Rome before Civilis disappears into history. My take by South Ben. This revolt shows how a need for vengeance as an absolute destruction of one's enemies can be more fatal for a movement than the enemies themselves would have been. We can also see this in World War II with Nazi Germany. I by no means support the Nazis. I'm just pointing out interesting historical uh, counterfactual. Had Hitler not decided to attack the USSR, he could have waged one front war and been more likely to have succeeded. Also, if he had not declared war on the United States, there was a strong enough isolationist feeling in American populace that the U.S. would have only declared war on Japan, thus giving Germany an even greater chance of success. However, Hitler's hatred of the Jews and belief that the Bolshevik Revolution in Russia was created and led by Jews and the capitalist U.S. was run by Jews led him to make illogical decisions based on a need for vengeance against the Jews and a desire to destroy them. Had he faced these enemies one at a time or even just settled for a peace treaty strongly in his favor with the other powers when he was at his strongest, the Third Reich might have survived past 1945. Thankfully, Hitler's need for vengeance against the Jews caused his downfall. This also fits with how many emperors, with how many emperors during the year of the emperors and the year of four emperors were trying to go to a level of power above their ability as these tribes tried to expand further than their power structure would allow ultimately failed as a result. Since my voice is so strained, I'm going to simply go back to the old proverb for my thoughts on this. Before you begin a journey of revenge, dig two graves. I think that says it all. Next up, let me remind you guys, if you like this show and want to support the work that we do, one of the ways you can do that is become a member of the Members Support Brigade. Just go to the survivalpodcast.com and click on Members to learn more about that. I'll go that short with that today because I have a very cool announcement before I bring Cat Ellis on, we now have dun, 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 an iPhone app for the Survival Podcast. Not only can you get all the episodes of the Survival Podcast as soon as they come out, you can stay up in touch with us on our social media presence on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. You can see the latest entries from the Survival Podcast forum and a lot of other really cool stuff. It's completely customizable, and you can get it on your iPhone today. If you search for Survival Podcast, you probably won't find it in the App Store. The easy thing to do would be go by the website, and there's a post about it today with a link to it where you can get it directly, and there'll be a link in today's show notes. The other thing that you can do, somebody told me this on Facebook. I have not checked to see if it works yet, but you'll see if you put quotes around it. When you go to the App Store, put quote, survival, space, podcast, end quote, and you should find it. I haven't tried that yet, but from what I understand, you should should be able to find it that way. Anyway, I'd love for you to go by the survivalpodcast.com, Look the look up the article where I wrote about this. I'm asking for your feedback on the app, what you'd like to see added to it, if you find any bugs, stuff like that. But you iPhone users, please go ahead and get the app downloaded. And uh, we put a lot of work into it. I know it's like way late. It should have been done a long time ago, but it is there. An odd thing has happened, though. I've had a lot of people, when, you, when are you coming out with the Android app? G- guys, we've had an Android app for like five years uh, because it was easier to do. What happened, though, was the, the app store people for Android... Uh, kick us out. Why? Uh, they told the gentleman that actually developed the app that he didn't have rights to the intellectual property, which is my intellectual property, and he built the app for me. 
And we got tired of fighting them, and we now host the app on a thing called the Aptoid Store because Android is open source, so you can get your apps from anywhere. And there's a, there's a medallion in the center column that says the TSP Android app Survive. You can get it right there. Or you can go to aptoid.com, and you can look up Survive, and you'll find our app. Anyway, please install the app. Check it out. Let me know what you think about it. I, I know you guys have to send me an email or comment on Facebook or whatever. When I'm doing something like this, I like to consolidate things. If you could just go by the blog for this one and give me your feedback on the app in those comments that are all consolidated, that'll also let Blake Akers, who built the app, see your feedback as well because he's the one that's actually going to do anything that we're going to do. And with that, I'd like to introduce our special guest today to talk about one of my favorite subjects, herbal medicine. And with that, hey, Kat, welcome to the Survival Podcast. Hi, Jack. Thank you so much for having me on. Kat, what I want to lead off with is the same thing I ask every guest. You know, Before we get into your topic today, which is herbal medicine and self-reliance through it, can you tell people, like, how did you get to like just kind of where you are in life today? Like, Take us back. You're spacing out in study hall in high school <laughs> or whatever, and you're trying to figure out what to do with your life. How do you end up to the point where you decide, like, I'm going to look at herbal medicine? Wow, it's it's been a crazy road to get to this point. I actually um, went to school to be a viola performance major at Peabody Conservatory in Baltimore, um, and it was I, that got uh, derailed. I had an injury to my shoulder, and it was misdiagnosed. So I, I ended up walking away from that, um, and I found myself in um, massage therapy later on, and that's when they found that I actually had a rotator cuff injury that was referring pain to my elbow. So it only was engaged when I lifted my arm to play the viola. So that was my bowing arm. Um, and it hadn't been addressed that whole time. And when I was in massage school, I was, um, I was there because, you know, again, it was this long kind of winding road after you spend, you know, most of your life preparing for one career. Cause that's all I did. I played in orchestras all my life. And, you know, I trying to figure out now what the heck do I do with mm. the rest of my life, went through a bunch of different jobs, hated everything, tried to go to school. My dad tried to, I mean, he's well-meaning, tried to get me to convince me to go to school for accounting. I tried it. It didn't work so well. No. Um, <laughs> it, you can't take a creative person and then, like, drop him into that. And it was he meant well. And I, and I get why, you know, he was thinking that might be a, a good field. But it that may be for him, but not for me. Um, so I tried a bunch of different things. I've been a bartender. I've been, um, that was fun, but, um, ultimately I ended up in more, you know, developing an interest in the healing arts and, and I, um, went to massage school and midwifery school and ultimately, um, herbal school, even though I'd already been working with herbs, just sort of in like a crafty kind of way, like home craft, like, um, you know, make something that smells nice kind of way. So cool. Well, here's an off-the-subject question. And it, women don't like questions about their age, so if you don't want to answer it, you don't have to. But you just oh, no made problem. me think of this when you were talking about it because I have to you know, drop your summary into the, uh, the podcast and, and edit it. And yeah. You'll wonder why this even matters. But are you under 40? Uh, no, I'm actually 43. 43. You're, see, you're at the cutoff. You're yeah. at the cutoff. You don't double space after a period. I know. <laughs> it's it's so you must be right at that cutoff where they started teaching it differently. So well, when, they, I, was, when yeah. I was editing your stuff, I'm like, damn, I got to put spaces in all these. <laughs> I know it has yeah. nothing to do with the subject, but it's just. No, it's I like, know that's fine. It's a weird thing that you can like you can actually see like generational 
conditioning based yeah. on how somebody types. Exactly. I'm going to make a WordPress plugin that automatically replaces all single spaces after periods with a double space. <laughs> just, just, I, I know it doesn't matter, <laughs> but it bugs me. <laughs> and, and people can get set in on their ways, like, right? So, like, this is a good well, chance. Well, that and my Oxford comma. I'm not giving it up. Oh, the Oxford comma. <laughs> You're lucky if I use a comma. That's. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, so. This kind of leaded, you know, I can see that how your your life led you to herbal remedies, but what yeah. really got you interested and what was it like as you kind of transitioned into that world? Well, you know, I, a lot of that was just because I wasn't getting the answers that I needed to for my own health issues. And so there, that's sort of what propelled me into, you know, the massage and, and midwifery and into herbalism. Um, I have uh, polycystic ovarian syndrome. And the uh, it was ignored for many, many, many years. I'd had symptoms for a very long time. And, you know, I just I, I needed to solve my own stuff. But, um, you know, I, I I had been working with herbs more like um, like I said, um, I made like herbal sachets, potpourri, made my own perfumes, that kind of thing. But one day I got really, really ill with like the respiratory virus from the ninth layer of hell or something like that. It was miserable. And it was, I, it was, it was the flu. It was going around and I happened to be in between jobs and I didn't have health insurance. So I called a friend of mine who owned an herbal shop in I live in, I'm in Massachusetts. This was on the Cape. So I called her. I'm like, I, I don't know what, what do I do? And we were on the phone and she's like, listen, what do you have on hand? I'm like, I got nothing. You know, she's like, do you have, you have a groceries? I have like, like nice smelling things. I don't have anything medicinal. And she's like, you got a grocery store nearby. So we put together a list of things and a good friend of mine went and picked up a few things, dropped them at my door, you know. Um, and, uh, I, I made this tea and it, oh, it was, it was awful, but it, it was, it was very strong. And I will tell you that I sweat like I have never sweat in my life and it but all of a sudden I started feeling better now I have to preface this by saying well prefaces I have to qualify this by saying I'd always been really um susceptible to respiratory infections and I was part of that generation where they just gave antibiotics out like candy so oh yeah the sniffles have some antibiotics oh so you have you know you're congested here's some antibiotics you know and every you know every year I seem to get worse and worse I'd get sick more and more often um, anyway, I would be sick and I would be sick much longer than everybody else. And, um, if, if I got sick at the beginning of the cold and flu season, I'd probably get it like again before the cold and flu season was over. It was just, um, it was kind of a miserable situation, but I, for me to be able to fight off a respiratory infection without the assistance of getting antibiotics was mind blowing to me. So I started to take this um, very determined interest. Um, it was I kind of veered away from, oh, uh, let's see what kind of perfume blend I can put together with, um, you know, herbs and essential oils and things like that to um, more of the herbal medicine side of things. Um, that because that gave me relief that no um, that that no um, like over the counter medication ever gave me. And I was over it. I mean, like, like legitimately over it, you know, very uh, within a matter of days after that. 
normally an infection like that, I would have had influenza, I would have been down for a couple of weeks, and I would have gotten bronchitis, a secondary bacterial infection after that. Um, so count me out for a good three and a half, four weeks. I would be miserable. Um, and I was over that with, within about five days. I mean, that, it, it was, um, really, it was, it was mind blowing and it was just stuff from the grocery store. Uh, granted, I had to make it a lot and I had to make this thing over and over and over again. Um, and, um, it was a little labor intensive. I, I have better methods now, but, um, you know, but just, you know, with very, um, simple skills, um, I was able to put this together. And like I said, I, I, I was sweating a lot and, you know, it was, um, it's not something I would serve to guests if I'd ever want them to come over again, <laughs> but it worked. It was effective. I mean, there was garlic and, in in, in, in there, there was a lot of garlic yeah. and there was, a, there was a lot of ginger and it was, um, it was very, uh, warming. We'll say that, but, um, but it sort of launched me onto this, um, you know, sort of investigation of herbal medicine. And back then, you know, there wasn't, there weren't a whole lot of, I mean, there were herbal books out there, but you know, there, there weren't nearly what there is now. And there certainly wasn't the quality of the, well, uh, well, well, my focus being, you know, herbal medicine, um, not like, well, this is, you know, the energetics of this plant or, you know, yeah. some, you know, some sort of woo or whatnot. Um, but like with actual studies behind them, you know, with, um, something to back them up. There, there's a lot of information now about that. Um, but I kind of had to learn some by books. I would email people. I would, you know, I would, um, talk to herbal shop owners and I was getting, there was a lot of trial and error that went on. Um, I finally, after, I don't know, about how many years or so about 10 years later, I ended up like taking like an official herbal course. And, you know, I mean, it was, I mean, it was fine. I mean, you know, I, there was some stuff I knew a lot of it, you know, I knew, but some of I didn't. So, but, you know, just to say I took, you know, a, a certification course kind of thing. Um, but yeah, so that's how I ended up, um, in herbalism. I, you know, it was, uh, um, just something that I just kind of fell into. Um, and, and, and I found it fascinating. I definitely know what you mean about certain teas you wouldn't serve to a guest. Yeah. Um, I have one for sleeping that's made with Demania and uh, uh, Red Valerian and a few other things. Mm. It'll put you flat out, but it tastes like gym socks. <laughs> it smells like it, too, I bet. <laughs> it does, man. It's <laughs> But it works, right? You know, and yes, a lot of the stuff, it, a lot of teas do taste good, but not all of them. You, uh, you can only put in so much honey. and. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> But uh, so a lot of people that I know that are into herbal medicine, right, they got into herbal medicine because they became a prepper or a survivalist or a modern survivalist and then yeah. went, hey, there's reasons to, like, take care of your own health. You seem mm -hmm. to have gone the other way around. So what got you into kind of the modern survival concept? Oh, yeah. So so back in 2007, if we can re rewind time a little bit, we got this letter home from my husband's work where um, it said something about this, something to the effect of, please try not to use your company truck unless it's absolutely necessary. We're spending a half a million dollars a month on fuel. And I read that and I'm like, I, I just got this feeling in the pit of my stomach. I'm like, that's not right. Uh, this They've never cared about this before. What's going on here? 
And, you know, if you think back to what was going on in 2007, um, you know, fuel prices were, you know, sky high. There's all sorts of stuff going on. So I started researching things and that's when I found your show and I, I've been listening since then. So, um, so it's my fault. It's your fault. No, uh, <laughs> no, but it was uh, in the beginning. There it was like peeling back the layers of, wait a minute, this doesn't seem right. And then, um, you know, it, it, part of it was also because I was expecting my first child and, you know, you tend to, I don't know, just, I, I, you know, you try to, I don't, I don't know if the, the mind was sort of shifting here is now I'm responsible for, you know, a, a small life. And, you know, I just, I just had, I'm like, there's something that I'm not comfortable with here with that letter. And I, so like I said, I started researching online, finding, um, lots of news articles about, um, the cost of oil. And then, um, you know, it would spill over into other topics. You know, you get online and you start off by Googling one thing and then like, you know, three hours later, you know, you're, you're on YouTube watching videos that, you know, how did I get here? So, um, I ended up, looking into um, like various prepper forums and talking with people. And, um, you know, my husband and I were like, yeah, there's, you know, we might want to just be a little bit more prepared just in case you never know. I mean, it makes, it makes sense. You know, um, let's say we're in Massachusetts. If we have a huge snowstorm, we want to, you know, it, it's not unheard of for power to go out. We want to have food on hand. You know, it's just common sense. But then he ended up getting laid off. And so everything got ratcheted up a, a notch or five. And, you know, at first we were like, well, okay, it's a, it's supposed to be just a temporary layoff for the winter. They do this in his industry on occasion. It hasn't happened in a very long time, but okay. But, you know, you just don't feel comfortable. And so I'm like, we should probably put some things away, you know, just in case, you know, we ended up getting our tax return in and like, okay, well, why don't we, um, we got to share at a local CSA farm. We got a storage freezer, uh, put a cow in it. You know, we just, just in case, you know, paid off some bills with that money, just in case the layoff went on a little longer than it was supposed to. And it did. And it turned into a permanent layoff, which was, you know, it was the worst, you know, that was like, this was the, this was our SHTF moment was yeah. okay. It's permanent. We, he had just called and asked them on a, on a Thursday, Hey, do you know when we're coming back? And like, and they're like, Oh, we'll, we'll be bringing you all back real soon. And he used to work in a quarry, make big rocks and a little rocks, you know? And, um, you know, that Monday they called and said, turn in your phone in your truck. It was like, Oh, okay. I don't know what we do now. So, um, so at that point, I was very happy that we'd put ourselves in, you know, to a little bit of a good position here. When we got the tax return, we, uh, you know, put some money aside. We paid off some bills. We put some food in the house. But I'm like, there's got to, there's got to be a better way than being dependent on, you know, the. I mean, we were completely dependent on, uh, you know, his primary income. Um, it's not very easy to do where we're at, the way we're set up. We got to figure this out. Um, you know, it's panic time. So, um, what we did was he had a hobby as a beekeeper. Um, the farm that we, um, had a share in was letting us keep our bees there. So, um, we ended up selling honey at farmer's markets. We kind of networked into that community a bit. And I guess it started out more with like a, 
homesteading in the city kind of a vibe. But, you know, again, it's like peeling back layers that onion. The more you realize how vulnerable all these various systems of support truly are, the the more you go, oh, I, I got to be ready to, um, you know, I got to be ready to take care of myself and my family. And I got to build my own systems of support because the government's certainly not going to be there, um, you know, uh, like people think it will be. Um, it's, you know, one of the things that, you know, we kept getting pushed into, um, which I didn't want to do. I never saw myself in that position was to go and apply for benefits, you know, but it got to a point there, you know, where we were, you know, getting a little, you know, desperate there. So we did. And, you know, that was a big eye opener, um, as far as, you know, when you think that these systems are going to be there for you, um, don't be so sure. Um, what we learned through that was that in order to get any type of assistance, you pretty much have, you're not going to be able to get off of it once you get on it. Um, unless, uh, I mean, it's very rare for that to happen. It's, it's, it's structured in such a way that once you get on those systems, um, you know, I mean, it's, it, it becomes very difficult to get out of it. It's like, I think they don't people want might struggle with understanding that. So I guess the way I would describe it is like, so, when you have nothing and you're busting your ass and you're trying to get ahead, you'll do anything to get a little bit more. So you'll right. take you'll take the staircase, right? So yeah. like when you go on these assistance programs, it's like they go, okay, here's your assistance, and they take the staircase away, and then there's like yeah. this giant gap. Yeah, and you have to jump that gap all in one go because if you try to take the stairs, they go, oh, you're achieving something. We're going to take your benefits away immediately exactly. when you've only maybe done a little bit of part-time work or something that's that's not coming back. So exactly. they, they eliminate that staircase, and then they go, look at all the people that won't get off of welfare. Well, jerks, that's because you set it up. It's designed that way. Like I know if you're an herbalist, you're a systems thinker. You can't be an herbalist and not be a systems thinker. So when you look at a system – you immediately see the point of the design. And it sounds like when you looked at that system, you went, well, I see the point and I don't like it. Exactly. Exactly. And so I'm like, we, we've got to figure out a way to do this without this assistance. And granted, we had some, we, we had, we were luckier than some people in, in where we live. The house that we live in is owned by my family. So we knew we weren't going to be homeless. We, we knew that much. But and we knew that we had, you know, access to the backyard there and I could do whatever I wanted to with it. So in addition to the um, the food that we got from the CSA, we got a garden out there um, and I made every use of every spare inch that I could with it. Um, and, you know, we um, were able to um, get a few more beehives going and we did a few more um we, we got a few places where we could put our honey and, you know, thankfully we had that. I mean, that's sort of like one of those things I was very lucky we started the year before. Um, and, you know, that that replaced quite a bit. I mean, I had my massage practice that I reopened. I, I, I had um, I had temporarily closed it due to a complication while I was pregnant that I reopened it afterwards. Um, and, you know, we 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 made it, but we were like, we've got to do something a little bit more. So we bought some land in Maine. Um, we, you know, we've paid it off. We did it. It was a um, we didn't involve the banks. We um, it was an owner financed uh, piece of property. We got 33 acres up there. We got it. We built a cabin up there. Um, it's beautiful, gorgeous uh, 
place uh, about in mid coast Maine. And the only reason why we're still in Massachusetts, I, I have an elderly parent here. So um, we, we have the cabin uh, rented out and um, there's still work and construction and development and, and of, of all that going on. Um, we were doing some, some very uh, exciting things with the trees this year. They're, they're, they're going to be able to be, they're big enough. We can um, harvest some of them strategically. It's going to be put into a forestry management plan. There's going to be um, the food forest getting its start going in this spring. So very excited about that. Um, but, uh, you know, sometimes life throws you these curveballs. And um, one of the curveballs was when we were, we were um, thinking about getting out of here and going to Maine originally, my mother ended up getting diagnosed with uh, cancer. So I wasn't about to leave at that moment after she passed. I, my dad's here by himself. It was de- it was not what we planned at all. So we kind of have this homesteading thing going on where we are right now in Massachusetts. And then this other one up in Maine where um, a good friend of like mind is renting the place and keeping that going too. So there's progress going in both places, you know, and if things go belly up, then well, we're all out of here and going to Maine. So that's, <laughs> that's what happened with that. It's it's good to have a plan. It really is. And I understand how an elderly parent can keep you grounded. Uh, in our case now, it's kids that keep us grounded, but you know, yeah. it, grandkids more than kids, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, but it, it, it's good to have that plan. Um, as part of their plan, though, it's it's clear that you think people should learn to grow and make their own herbal remedies. Um, there's a lot of different schools of thought with herbs. One I hate is what's, what I call replacement therapy, which is you have a headache, so instead you reach for this bottle of pills that's made out of herbs, right? That's because like a headache, yeah. a headache is not a deficiency in aspirin. Or, or <laughs> exactly. deficiency in white willow bark, right? Exactly. Right. But then there yeah. is like the broader school of thought where you actually understand the fundamental things of the earth. You're trying to correct the problem with the body and you still go to a prep. And then the, the third school of thought is more of at least for some things you should be making your own. Why do you like kind of push people into that approach? Well, you know, if you are, you know, if you are thinking about prepping at all, you know, or if you're looking at this at all, then you have to understand that, you know, there are vulnerable systems, one of them being shipping and getting things to places. Like, for instance, um, let's put it this way. A lot of our herbs come from overseas. So when you buy herbs in bulk, a lot of them are coming from places like China, and they're coming from you know outside of our borders. When we think about um, how shipping could be interrupted, like let's say with that cyber attack that took down, uh, was it um, – Maersk, the shipping company, mm-hmm. and they were delayed. I mean, that's a, I mean, obviously that wasn't, you know, an ongoing thing, but for several weeks that did knock it down. There are a number of things that could, um, stop shipping. Uh, for instance, you know, if truck drivers went on a strike, that there would be an issue. Or if we had something that was larger, um, larger in scale, obviously, um, you can, I mean, you can certainly stock up on herbs. And if there's something that you really feel that you need that doesn't grow in your area, by all means, stock up on it. But when you grow them yourself, you know, you, one, you have, you have more control over, you know, when your, um, herbal formula is going to get made, how it's going to get made. You know, you're using a fresh herb as opposed to something that's been dried and maybe on a shelf somewhere for a year before it gets sent out to you. Um, sometimes 
like for instance, with something like St. John's wort, you, if you are going to be making an infused oil out of that, you have to have it fresh. You know, you, I mean, you can get dried and it, and that still has benefits for things like, you know, um, mood disorders. But if you are using it, uh, for let's say wound care or some type of a muscle injury, then you, and you're going to be, you know, you, you want to make this infused oil from it you need to actually have the fresh plant material. So there's a number of herbs where, you know, you you want to work with them when the plant is fresh so that you have that end of things. But also if you do have, if you're cut off from your supply, you know, then you have that there and, and at least, you know, that's there. Um, of course, you can wildcraft as well. And I would encourage that responsibly. You know, you don't want to eliminate, you know, you don't want to decimate the plant population of a particular plant in your area. But, um, I mean, you should be familiar with those. But it's just like anything else. It's a redundancy. You know, you have it there. It's sustainable. It's You can collect the seeds, grow them from year to year, whatever you got to do. Um, so it's it's something that, like, you know, and it's not that I don't have them. Let's let's take like vet meds, the you know, you have antibiotics that you're saving or whatever kind of, you know, medications you might be storing for whatever reason. And it's not that I don't have any of that. Of course I do. Um but when they're gone, they're gone. And you know, that's it. You know, there's there's there wouldn't be a restock on that. I mean if if like the worst were to happen. Um and honestly, you know, I, I'm not necessarily expecting the worst to happen, but, um, but you know, I always plan for the worst and hope for the best, you know. So, um, so, but that would be why it's sustainable. You can grow them year after year, um, and then you can make sure that you have those plants that you want the most right nearby, and you can work with them when they are, you know, the most potent, as as opposed to, um, you know, just only being able to access the dried plant material. I actually have a few additions. I think another one is going to be, if you are a prepper, you probably have a garden, and if you're not putting herbs in your garden, you're wrong, because they do so much for your garden. (laughs) They really do. A pollinator, predator, just beauty, aroma, smell, culinary. So they're there. So if you're not figuring out how to harvest that particular function of them, you're wasting a function that's sitting there. And then, and then the other one kind of involves a story, which is what hooked me and made me always open to this, because I was a very scientific guy, and there's a lot of scientific proof now, but in the 80s and the 90s, there really wasn't a lot of science that was at least easily accessible until the Internet came along. Right. And, and that was a lot of years to lose. So you know, I'm big on hooking kids into things. So, for instance, I, I've got a lot of questions recently about this box I bought for my grandson. It's a little, looks like a pirate's treasure chest. And he keeps the yeah. silver in there. And they're like, well, what if it, what if the house catches on fire and it's all lost? I'm like, you know, he gets a coin a year. I just, he's the, 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 the first insurance company of Papa Jack. Any coin he gets or the other kids get, I just have a matching one in case something happens for now. It's more important that we hook them. So they have their little box. It's their thing, you know. So yeah. like when I was a kid, I remember my grandfather, I don't know what he did, but he had this on the inside of one of his fingers, like just, it looked like somebody took a rasp and just scraped the skin off the inside of his finger. And he took me out in the garden, he got some plantain leaf and some comfrey. And he yeah. wasn't an herbalist, he was just, you know, first generation immigrant from the Ukraine. Yeah. And he just laid a leaf of each on there and put a band-aid over it and showed me how to do that. 
And like two days later, he shows it to me, and it's like completely healed. It's still yeah. pink, but I mean, there's no infection, there's no bleeding, and this was something that you know, if you put Neosporin on it in a bandage, it would have probably took a week to heal. Exactly. And I was yeah. like, my grandpa's a sorcerer, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> oh my god, my grandpa could do magic with with you know, he could heal wounds, and it was like, well, I wanted to know more about that. And I think that if we take the time to actually teach our kids how to do this stuff, it's empowering, but it also hooks them into it. So they're gonna they're gonna keep it for the rest of their life. So when someone comes to them and goes, "That doesn't work" or whatever, like I don't know, I've been using it for twenty five years. I I'm really not even interested in what you have to say now. Um, oh, I know. You know, so like that's a big deal. And then money. Like I love Western botanicals. I think they're one of the best sources when I don't have time to make something or whatever. And from mm -hmm. a, you know, comfrey ointment. It's easy to make, but if I need it, Dr. Christopher's is like the best one I've found. But when it comes down to it, for a handful of comfrey that goes for free all over my property, wherever the ducks can't get to, yeah. uh, some coconut oil and some beeswax, I can make all of that I want for exactly. almost nothing. It is. It's, so it's, to me, that like compounds everything you said. Yeah. It's um, I mean, There's a, so many benefits. And, you know, for, for nothing else, it's one of those things that it's really empowering. When you sit there and you, you grow your herbs and you go, when you take something right out of your yard and you turn this into um, a remedy that helps um, take the sting out of a bee sting for, you know, your kid or, you know, you um, or you, you're easing a cough or, you know, you're or whatever it happens to be that you're doing, you know, there there's a lot of. Um, It's very rewarding. It's just, it's pleasant. I mean, you can, I mean, it's, um, it, how should I put this? When it comes to prepping, you know, I, I, I tend to think of it like I have a thousand wicked cool hobbies and I just, I would do them anyway now just because I enjoy them. My life's better because of it. And, you know, having a garden and growing everything, my, well, not growing everything, but growing quite a bit of things myself That's just enjoyable. And uh, as I think when we start reading, you know, all these various horrible things that could potentially happen in the world, you got to find some enjoyment somewhere. And, you know, I find mine out in my garden. That's one of many places I do. But um, absolutely. Uh, well, what if I, you need it now? Like you need it now, not not in an hour, not 24 hours later after it shifts. Like so what you're making me think of there when you're talking about a bee sting. I was up at yeah. Ben Fox about five years ago. And I walked out of his studio, and one of those big-ass red wasps, just like, I guess I got them on the wrong moment, right in the back of the calf, man. Stung the hell out of me. And I looked Ooh. down where this wasp was, and there yeah. is my grandfather's plantain yeah. that I learned about, you know, 40 years ago. And right uh -huh. next to it's calendula. Oh, perfect. So I'm like, okay. So I just grabbed the leaf and the thing, <laughs> macerated it up, and it was low enough that I put it on the wound and then just pulled my sock up over it to hold it there. You know, yeah. th it, because it was immediate, like 15 minutes later, it's gone. Yeah, like it doesn't work that way if it's not immediate. It's a weird thing. I've also you. I don't think where you're at, you deal with the evil that is the fire ant. No, we but don't. If you get tore up by fire ants and you grab comfrey leaves and you rub it on it immediately, it's the end of it. If you wait 15 minutes, it helps, but you're still breaking out with those pustules and all that other stuff. Yeah. So yeah. if you don't have that knowledge, there's your cure right where you got stung or right where you scraped yourself or, or what it's sitting there. And I'm going to go to the website and look up what do I use on an abrasion, comp-free. I think I have that here somewhere, but I'll order it and wait three days. You know, maybe yeah, it's on exactly. Prime. I'll get it this evening. 
So, like, well, if you need it now, a lot of this stuff, yeah, there's great ways to prepare it, but it also could just be used raw and immediately. Right. You know, I mean, it's it's plantains. One of those things. If you look down on the ground, it's probably there. <laughs> it's called um, one of its folk names is white man's footprint because mm -hmm. everywhere we went, we brought it. You know, so it's spread. So it's everywhere as long as you know. Especially if, you know, you're not out there trying to weed your lawn all the freaking time. I mean, I, my neighbors, I know they hate me because, you know, I'm in, it's a small city, but it's still a city. Yeah. But, you know, I, I mean, my lawn, I, they must look at it and go, what are you doing? I like, there's medicine all over this, all over this. I can grab all, you know, I've got my dandelion and I dig them up. And they're like, why don't you just use Roundup? And I'm like, oh, oh please don't go there. Yeah. Don't go there. And, you know, but I've, I'm looking at plantain, I'm looking at dandelion, I'm looking at clover, it's, and I'm looking at violets, and, and I'm like, I've got medicine all over the place here, and I didn't have to do anything for it. So these are all volunteers, but, you know, it's, uh, it, it's right there. It's easy. I don't have to do anything for it. So what do you say to skeptics that are like, I, you know, I read online that herbs don't work. Dr. Oz, who plays a doctor on TV, told me they don't work or what have you. <laughs> Well, you know, doctors don't really have an herbal education. They're not taught anything about it. So they're not exactly um, experts on um, if herbs work or not. They're well, and like the herbal companies don't hire people that belong on the cover of GQ magazine to go sell herbs to doctors. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> they, they really don't. I mean, when you think about how pharmaceutical companies market to to doctors, I mean, they're relentless. They're right there. They're in there in the office. They're schmoozing the staff. They're t bringing them lunch. And, you know, and just herbalists aren't doing that kind of thing. Um, and they, they're but it's just not part of their education. They don't know a whole lot about it. Um, and, you know, that's a bit by design. We did once have. Um, a whole class of botanical doctors in the United States, those would be the eclectics. And um, they used to have their own medical colleges and they were, they were doctors. Um, but they, um, they sort of shunned the, um, I mean, when we think of medicine today, it's a little different than what it was, let's say a um, hundred years ago. Um, it, our modern medicine is, is, is still quite new. Um, a hundred years ago, they were still, you know, talking about um, humors and, and and bleeding people. And, um, you know, it was still not that different. It was Victorian era, middle age kind of medicine. And some of the um, remedies that they used to have in these apothecaries, the apothecary um, is what morphed into the modern pharmaceutical industry. And they used to have these really questionable remedies. They were made with uh, things like, oh, um, um, my, of course, my brain's going to freeze on this. Um, things like cocaine and dog manure and all kinds and lead and uh, oh, was it uh, mercurochrome, things like that. Um, and the concept was that if they could make you purge, so either you're vomiting or you have diarrhea, they could get out this this illness from you, if they could just make you purge enough. And if you survived that, you know, and you got better, then it was a success. Of course it was a success. Um, and the, <laughs> you know, whatever it has to be. That, of course. You didn't die. It works. No, you didn't die. So therefore my pill of, of nastiness worked. 
But um, there was another group that um, said, you know, we kind of disagree with that. And they started um, uh, uh, – there were actually several groups, but just to make a long story short um, – they though the widest spread group were the eclectics and they had their own medical colleges and they were evidence based and they did collect i mean obviously there was some folklore and stuff that they would they would work off of and then test um but what it came down to was a bunch of politics and they sort of leveraged the um the weight of the government to kind of squeeze them out over time and eventually the colleges closed and um there were no new eclectics done but there once was this whole um, uh, movement of botanical medicine in the United States um, that most people don't aren't even aware that ever existed. I, I think to me the biggest thing I say to skeptics is, well, then try it, right? Then yeah. try it because it's hard for it's hard for you to tell me that something like lantana or comfrey is not a dermal regenerator. Yeah, because I've I've you know had a cat claw me nastily and like <laughs> oh oh gee look at that. That's a perfect science experiment. There's two scratches. Let's well, just, another thing. Let's yeah, just other... put it on one and not the other and see. How do you tell somebody something doesn't work when they've seen it work all their life or felt it? And it's not, that's not psychosomatic. That's as scientific as it gets. The other thing is that um, there is this thing called the Internet now. And if they, when they say, oh, this doesn't work, I say, well, I can actually point you to many studies that say otherwise. Um, and other countries are just, you know, they're – um, I'm thinking two off the top of my hand, both China and Germany are well, well advanced of where we are. And when it comes to incorporating herbs into their mainstream medical uh, health care system. So um, they I mean, they've got loads of studies and, um, you know, it just because, you know, we don't have them here just because we don't do a lot of them here, just because our medical system doesn't focus on it doesn't mean that others are not and so here we have two very modern countries you know both china and germany and um, germany is very stringent very strict with what they allow into their um into their uh, healthcare system whoops I'm, what did you do <laughs> they're, they're coming for me i'm telling you you found me oh that's great <laughs> So, uh, but anyway, so they, the studies are out there if you want to look. I mean, there's tons out there on PubMed. I mean, it's there. But again, there's, once you've experienced it though, it's very difficult to unknow once you know, you know? So, um, <laughs> you know, that was like with that demon tea that I drank way back when to get rid of that horror when I had to exercise out that influenza virus. Um, you know, I mean, it was it wasn't pleasant to taste, but I mean, it made a major impression on me. And, you know, of course, there's a lot of nonsense that gets floated out there. If you're on Facebook at all, um, I think all of my friends tease me about that sock onion thing, about slicing up an onion, putting it on your foot, putting a sock over it. And, you know, it's going to cure everything from, you know, the common cold to plague. You know, well, we should tell the people in Madagascar about that, you know, because they might want to know about a cut onion. Or, you know, cure the plague. <laughs> pretty sure that if a, a sliced onion cured plague, that it wouldn't have been so deadly in Europe, you know, but far be that for me to point out. So there's there's a lot there is a lot of nonsense out there, but there's also a ton of quality information out there as well. So um for people who say they, they don't I don't believe in herbs working. It's like, well, you don't have to believe in it, 
I mean, plants are made up of hundreds of different chemical constituents and they have effects upon the body. They have physiological impacts upon the body. And then I, and then sometimes I'll get into telling people where the origins of various medications came from. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, uh, like aspirin, well, originally, came, you know, you would find the same component in uh, salicin, which then metabolizes in the body the salicylic acid. And then, um, you know, the synthetic version is acetylsalicylic acid. And you get that from a number of different plants. You get that from white willow. You can get it from meadowsweet. Um, and then, of course, there's metformin, which originated from a plant called goat's rue. Um, so there, and of course, and there's many, many more people know capsaicin, but they don't necessarily think, oh, well, that's cayenne. It, well, I mean, cayenne contains actually any hot pepper contains capsaicin, but cayenne contains, um, a, uh, it's a predictable amount depending on, you know, wherever you're growing it. I mean, it's a fairly, um, predictable, um, effect as opposed to some peppers or, you know, they're a little bit more, a little bit less. They tend to vary, but, um, that's so herbalists tend to stick to cayenne for that reason but um we're familiar with some of these things but you know we don't think you know the other thing is the other thing that i like to tell people is so if you were to go to you know the doctors and the, med the mainstream medical does not like to acknowledge that herbs actually work but if you were to be going to have some type of a surgery they're going to ask you to fill out a form that says all the medications and herbal supplements that you take. And let's say that you were taking something like cayenne. Um, they're going to tell you to stop taking it. And you're going to say, well, why, why would I stop taking it? Well, because it can thin the blood. Oh, really? So it's okay to say that it thins the blood when it could be a negative. But we can't say that it thins the blood when it could be a positive where someone may need a blood thinner. Hmm. So, but we, we can acknowledge it when it's a negative, when that could put someone's, you know, life in jeopardy, when you don't want them bleeding out during a surgery, obviously. So we can acknowledge that that potential exists, but we can't acknowledge it when it's, you know, when someone has had, you know, um, a problem um, with clots and we need to look at blood thinners. We can't look at that. So, and, and of course, that's coming from that very mainstream allopathic mindset. Sure. But sometimes that's the first way that people will, um, like, that's their first introduction to it, you know. So um, sometimes, you know, you got to meet people where they are. And if they've never considered working with herbs before, they're in that mindset of, Okay, well, if I get this illness, I take this pill. And, you know, you kind of have to lead them along to say, well, that's a symptom. It's not the problem. Like when people say, oh, disease, it's all related to inflammation. Inflammation is the cause of so many diseases. Really, what's causing the inflammation? Inflammation isn't a cause. Inflammation itself is a symptom. So, um you know, I, I, it's just one of those little pet peeves of mine because I've seen so many commercials and, you know, on television and wherever else, you know, that, you know, point the blame at inflammation for, you know, this, that or the other problem. That's at the root of everything is the inflammation. No, inflammation is caused by something. It's caused by some type of an irritation There's or there's some type of an allergic reaction going on. There's some type of injury. Something causes inflammation. What's that cause? Let's look at that. But, um, you, like I said, you gotta meet some people where they are sometimes. And if they are, if they are at that point where herbs don't work, well, 
then that's that's sometimes what I'll mention to them as well. You know, we can talk about, you know, the the danger that herbs can cause, you know, what the the but when it's as long as it's presented in a negative, but that same action in a different scenario could be used as a positive, but that doesn't get a whole lot of attention. Well, my thing is if herbs if you want to be blunt, if herbs don't do anything, why does anybody smoke pot? <laughs> right? And you can say, well, like, can they do it to get high? Well, then there has to be a pharmacological psychoactive reaction for that to yeah. occur. Right? You can't, you can't get one without the other. Or, you know, we have this, this, uh, they call it the opiate, uh, uh, addiction, uh, epidemic that we have now from overprescribing yeah. all these opiates. You do know where opium comes from. It comes from a flower. Exactly. Right? So, like, to say it doesn't work is, is, is retarded on its face. But I also like to kind of point out when they, because then doctors will come back with, well, they're dangerous. And I think my favorite story ever is from Dr. Weil. And it was one of his books I was reading. And it was another one of those things that like drilled into my head. It can't go away. I'll never forget it. Yep. He was talking about digitalis or foxglove, which again, oh, yes. is a flower, right? Yes. And he mm -hmm. was like, so when I went to medical school and I had my pharmacology courses and all, I had to learn all these side effects. And like there were three stages of side effects to digitalis. And one yeah. was that they were very mild and it could be almost anything. The second one was like vomiting and puking. Yes. And the third one was death. Yes, so, exactly. So when I became a resident, I started asking questions like, has anybody ever seen this middle symptom to digitalis? And all the doctors were like, no, I've never, you know, either they're, they have these mild symptoms and we adjust it, Or they die. That's it, right? There's no. We never have anybody puke their guts out from this. Well, why? I don't know. Shut up and go back to work. So he finally finds like this old codger doctor, you know, that's like you know, 80 years old in the 70s. So he's been around forever, and yeah. he's like, oh, I can tell you why. Back in the day when we used whole herbs, we kept increasing the dose until we got a therapeutic response. Mm -hmm. If the patient started to puke, we stopped giving it. We backed it down. So we could do the maximum therapeutic response. And no one ever died because when they started puking, we stopped giving them more. Exactly. And because exactly. we refined it, we go straight from minor symptoms to dead. <laughs> do not pass go. Do not collect $200. But digitalis is not anything. It is still basically the same thing you get from the flower. It's just refined. And we're still yeah. using it today to save life after life after life from congestive heart failure. Right. So your argument is moot. Exactly. Right. There's no. There's no. There's no way to say herbs don't work. Now, I think you're right. I think a lot of reason there's a lot of that skepticism is you know, there's a lot of snake oil sales out there too. Yeah. And I wonder sometimes if that's the establishment creating like you know, sock puppet sites, because it makes us look stupid. You know, <laughs> the onion of the onion of, of of you know the holy onion of Antioch or something. You know. <laughs> I also think that. Um, we could use a whole lot more actual science in our schools. That would be fun mm. because I think that people would be a whole lot less gullible about a number of things. Um, you know, I mean, you can't just like slap a, an onion onto your foot and think it's going to somehow act like, I don't know, like some sort of external liver that's filtering out <laughs> all the toxins from your body. It just doesn't work like that, you know, so um, there, there's some of that, um, that, that I'd like to see there, but there's, I, I also think there's, there is, um, there's sort of a general sense among people that, oh, you know, they've had so many bad experiences with, you know, the mainstream medical field 
And oh, they're, they're coming for me again. They're after you, man. You they are. Them. They really are. So, um, but I think there's sort of um, there. There are a lot of people who are fed up with um, some of the care that they get, and especially because the care isn't, you know, it's sick care. It's not health care, and they're fed up with it, and they don't get better. They just sort of maintain their level of sickness for an extended period of time. And then when the medications that mask a lot of the symptoms um, don't work, they up the medication. So, and, and it just keeps on going. They don't actually get better. And I think they are yearning for, you know, some kind of um, miracle pill or some sort of answer that will, that will fix things. And, you know, there within herbal medicine, there's a lot of good that can be done, um, but you know, not every it can't solve everything. If I have a heart attack, please don't take me to the herb shop. I don't want to go there. I want to go to the hospital, and I want you to pump me full of whatever the heck you got and keep me alive. But bar you know, other I mean, other than something like heroic like that, I can generally take care of what I need to take care of at home. Um, but you also need to have people who are. Um, also going to take it upon themselves to get educated about how the body functions, you know, and, and to understand, you know, like, for instance, um, I, I hear a lot of people will say things like, oh, I had, I, I had a cold, but, you know, the virus, um, it finally became bacterial. And so now I need antibiotics. I'm like, okay. Viruses don't become bacteria. That's not how things work. That's not how any of this works. Uh, it's just that your immune system has become weakened and now you've taken on another infection. Um, it, the, but the virus doesn't mutate and become a bacteria. And then they'll say, well, um, my uh, mucus is all dark green. I, that means it's a bacterial infection. I heard doctors say that over and over and over and over again. It's not correct. What happens is... There's a, it's, it's actually an en enzyme that turns it green because your immune system is working harder. So the color is actually, um, it's actually, um, an indicator of how hard your immune system is working, not whether it's viral or bacterial. So, um, I, I'm not sure why that was like, I mean, I still hear it from people today, um, and, and still from doctors, but, um, you know, at, when you actually research things and, and you learn about how the body functions, it's like, well, uh, things don't always work quite like that. I think probably the biggest eye opener that I had for that was going to midwifery school. And it's like, oh, I, I never knew like 90% of that, <laughs> you know, one would think that I should at least maybe know half of that. You know, I mean, that's, it's important to know that that's how your body functions. How, why do I not know this? So, um, I think that, you know, if it, herbs are wonderful, they don't take a whole lot of time to learn how to make herbal medicine, but I think that we could use, um, maybe more user friendly way. I mean, because when you sit down to read like an anatomy or physiology book, um, it, I mean, it's a very technical, right? Yeah. It's, it's <laughs> like, uh, I can't get through this. It's like, oh, this is so dry. Did they try? Did they like find like the most, you know, boring, pedantic person they could find to 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 make this the worst read ever? Um, 
but I mean, if we had, you know, if, if there were more books that were more, you know, layperson friendly, I guess, um, so that people understood how their body worked, they, they might, uh, I think they would be more successful at using their herbal medicine and, and in general when it comes to healthcare. Absolutely. So, I mean, with all this in mind, what do you think the most important herbs to have on hand are? Oh, all of them. No, um, oh. all of them. Well, I mean, if, if you have a particular issue, then, you know, if there's if there's something that you know that you need to deal with, um, for instance, let's say uh, type two diabetic. There was a study done. It was a it was a done over three months. So obviously this isn't, um, you know, it's not the kind of it's it's some people are going to say, well, that wasn't done long enough and, and so on. But it was done over three months. And it used, um, it was about 50 or so people in it, but they had, um, they had a control group versus people taking, um, a, I believe the herb was, uh, felidendron amaranth that they used, but the chemical that they were looking for and it was berberine. And it's, that's found in a number of things. Like you were saying earlier about, um, golden seal, it's in golden seal, which is a fabulous, Antibiotic when you, it when it's applied to infected tissue. So you were spraying it on your throat. It's going right to the infected tissue. If you have if you have a sore throat, that's that's what a throat spray. You know, it's is perfect for that. Um, so um, it, golden seal has it. Um, Oregon grapefruit has it. There's uh, coptis has it. So there's a number of herbs that have it. But anyway, it was um, they they compared it to metformin um, over a three month period, and what they found was that Milligram for milligram, it was just as effective at uh, managing the um, postprandial blood glucose. So the, in other words, the, the blood glucose reading that you take after you eat, um, it was just as effective. It did have some side effects, though. The side effects that they had from the berberine was that the uh, people's triglycerides improved, that there, um, there's some people who had um, fatty liver disease, um, and their enzymes were higher. The enzyme levels came down and their, their, their tests improved. Their liver panel improved that the, um, HDL to LDL cholesterol improved and the overall cholesterol number came down. So usually we're accustomed to hearing side effects are anything from like runny nose to, you know, your skin's going to break out to death, you know, anal leakage. That's always great. <laughs> you know, Exactly. That's so what I'm looking for in a pharmaceutical right there. So, so these were some beneficial ones. So anyway, um, so if, if you, if you do have to deal with type two diabetes, if you are someone who is taking metformin, you may wish to research that. Uh, but anyway, so if you, like I said, if you've got something specific, like if, if you know that you've got arthritic joints, then you might want to have herbs for that. But in general, um, you can get away with some of these here that you might already have them in your garden. Um, garlic, um, because that would, um, garlic is, um, what doesn't it do? Um, it helps to support your immune function. It can be, uh, it helps your cardiovascular function if you, um, can apply it to the tissue, um, cause it's, it's not a systemic antibiotic, but a local antibiotic. Um, it's, it, it's effective against a number of different types of bacteria. So garlic is important to have. I already spoke about cayenne. I would definitely want to have that on hand. Not only is that, um, helpful for some cardiovascular issues, but, um, also because it 
um, can assist with nerve pain and pain in general because it, it has all that capsaicin and can block that substance, uh, substance P that sends the chemical message to the brain that there's pain. So if you need to, um, reduce, you know, especially for joint pain, um, thyme, one of the most antimicrobial herbs that we have, um, I, I think I did an article once on my site that it was like time is your is your respiratory system's best friend. I'm terrible at headlines. I'm, I'm writing up the titles for articles. I, but it's some some long thing like that. But the gist of it is that um, for your respiratory system, if you've got an infection, it's wonderful to do a steam time and just breathe all that right in. It goes directly into the, your respiratory system. Um, and like I said, you know, herbs generally work better when you can get them to come in contact with the tissue that needs assistance, um, generally speaking. So that's one way of doing that with time. Oh gosh. Comfrey, you mentioned, I mean, if it's an incredible, uh, uh, cell proliferator, wonderful for wound care, um, just don't put it on any kind of a deep wound because you don't want that to heal over up top and have the, you know, not have it healed from, you want the wound to heal from the inside out, not the outside in. And it's just that effective that it could do that. Instead, I kind of, I prefer something like St. John's wort for those deep wounds. And I'll, um, I'll, in, I'll infuse it in honey and then you can pack, um, an open wound with that. Um, nettle. Yeah, you have to have nettle. That's just good for so many things. It's helpful for your um, kidneys and for your liver. And um, if it's a source of natural antihistamine, so if you have allergies, this is something you want to pay attention to. Excellent for joint pain and arthritis. And it's actually a complete protein. It has a protein profile similar to eggs. You would have to consume a ridiculous amount of nettle, but... I mean, if you are looking for a protein source and you have nettle, you can add that to your diet. Um, you can use it like um, you you have to cook it because you don't want to you don't want to have raw nettle because it's stinging nettle. It's got those little um, those little hairs on it which will sting you. Um, but some people use that um, for um, arthritis relief because it's very similar to a bee sting. If you've ever looked into apitherapy at all. Um, and um, people will go and get an intentional bee sting. You can do the same thing with nettle. Um, then um, let me see. You gotta have some source of berberine. So I had mentioned that just a little bit ago. So I like we have um, we, it's the amaranth tree. It's it's an invasive in our area, and it's sort of taken over where golden seal used to be. Um, but it's got loads of berberine in it. Coptis is another one. Um, or, Did you go back to that tree? You had a little uh, fade in it out there, cat. Oh yeah, it's a amar cork tree or philodendron amaranth. It's all over the east coast. So if 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 you're on the east coast, you can probably find that. Um, oh, let me see. There's um, algarita. I think is probably out in your area that has that. Um, so everywhere you are, basically in in the U.S., there's some plant that's got berberine in it. Chaparral out in the southwest, um, and and it's wonderful for uh, I mean so many things, everything from uh, metabolism to wound care. It's it's um, important stuff. Valerian, um, everything from you know helping you get some you know decent rest to um, being a um, a uh, muscle ro- a muscle relaxant. It helps to um, soothe those um, 
um, spasming muscles. Although if you do have a really bad muscle spasm, there is lobelia. And I know that some people get weirded out about lobelia. There's all kinds of warnings about that, um, that, uh, you don't want to take too much. It should be just a low dose herb. And I haven't found that to be true. Um, I, I, I have lobelia for it's, it's like the premier anti-spasmodic. So, um, I mean, it's so effective that it will take you out of lockjaw if if you have that. So not necessarily tetanus, if, but if your jaw is locked, if you have lockjaw, there are other ways you can get lockjaw. But um, it has been used for that. But it's also used for things like asthma attacks. So that can be, um, you know, there's, um, there are, gosh, I, I, I have to pick. Oh, my gosh. Let me see. Um, I don't. There, there's just so many elder, elder flowers, elder berries, um, excellent for the flu, um, marshmallow root. Oh my gosh. Uh, so that's excellent for the skin. Um, Solomon seal for your, um, joint pain and pain in general. Mullen. That's another, that's something if you've got respiratory issues, you've got to have and you need to collect. And this is really, you probably can find it growing around you, but if you don't, then you might want to grow it. Um, but if you're going to be using the leaves for the respiratory system, you want to get them in the first year, the second year it sends up this stalk and it's got these little yellow flowers all over it. You can make a fabulous, um, infused oil from those flowers for earaches for kids because your kid's going to get an ear infection on a Friday night at like midnight when nothing's open except the ER. So if you have that, you can at least maybe, you know, um, wait it out until maybe at least the next day. Um, I would also want to echinacea with berberine is a fabulous combination for, um, wound care, um, and infection that you can, you know, get it on, um, like anywhere, like on your skin. Uh, let me see. Juniper. That's a really good antibiotic herb for, um, it's, it's not a systemic. So, things you could do with that you could use this um in let's say an herbal steam if you had some type of a respiratory infection but if you ingest it so it's not it's not systemic it's going to stay within the intestine so it's so what would that be useful for any kind of intestinal infection and also things like urinary tract infections what happens you know when um women get stressed out and if we are in some type of a calamity or whatnot um, urinary tract infections are an extremely common infection to get. So having some of that on hand would be very helpful. Um, dandelion, you might want to put that with the juniper to help, you know, keep things flowing. Um, it's also excellent for the liver. And uh, then again, the liver, you're, if we're going to talk about that, you have to have milk thistle also. Milk thistle is, is, um, I mean, that's another one of those herbs where people say herbs don't work. Really? There is a chemical in milk thistle that they use, you know, in, in mainstream medicine. So, um, yeah, it's, I mean, yarrow is another one if you want to get, um, control over bleeding. Oh, there's so many of them. Um, poppies, we were talking about that before. You can, I mean, we can grow California poppies. And um, you can use the seeds and you can make an infused oil from that. You can make tinctures from that. Um, you know, it's it's uh, like a kissing cousin to the opium poppy, but not it's not you know, it's not the opium poppy. It's not going to have that level of effect, but it's quite effective. Um, oh, my gosh. Wood beetney is another one that you could use for various types of injuries and pain. Um, 
you know, I mean, uh, then there's, I mean, there's so many herbs that you could use for uh, women's health or, you know, herbs that are safe for, for pregnant women, herbs that are safe for children. I mean, there's uh, the, the there's just so much within this world. And, you know, I've, I've been asked a lot about like, Oh, give me like the top 10 herbs that we know that we all need. I'm like, really? 10, 10. Like, well, I, I don't know. Um, <laughs> so I, you know, it, it, there, there's, there's just so many of them. Um, to, to me, one of the ways to skin this is to learn about herbal actions, right? Yeah. And then learn the herbs that have those actions. Yeah, And then you have an issue, and it's not like, okay, let me order this herb. It's like, okay, what herbs do I have access to that do these things? Yeah, and what will grow in my area? Because I might put together, like people will say, well, what herbs do I need? I'm like, well, I don't know. Where do you live? What will grow in your area? What do you already have around you? I'm probably going to have things that you might not, and vice versa. I promise you, you have things I don't, because it's (laughs) desert here and rocky, and, you know, it doesn't rain, right? So, I mean, we're going to have different things, you know? Yeah. And I I think that, I think it's a great answer, um... What can you tell listeners about antibiotic resistance and herbal alternatives? I think that's a big subject, too. Oh, yeah. Um, Antibiotic resistance. This is one of those things that, you know, I I don't know why there isn't more alarm over this. I mean, like every once in a while it pops up in in, um, the newspaper or pops up on, like, you know, one of these news magazine shows and it gets, you know, a little bit of attention for a little while and everybody goes, Oh my gosh. And then like, they forget about it. Um, we really have not advanced. Um, we really have not advanced our antibiotics in, in a very long time. And, you know, we are using some of our, you know, end of the road antibiotics now for things that have become completely resistant. Um, we have some very scary illnesses that are now, uh, there, where there are strains that are totally resistant to antibiotics. Tuberculosis is one. It's a major problem over in India. And there have been a number of cases in South America that have had totally drug-resistant tuberculosis. Um, to me, that's rather alarming. Um, there, I was watching a, a YouTube video from, uh, I think it was Doctors Without Borders. They had a whole a whole thing on um, this this one man who had been living in a hospital, he was diagnosed with this strain of tuberculosis seven years prior. And out of those seven years, six and a half of them have been spent in a hospital because of the the medications that he's on. He can't go anywhere. And he's been there for that long. Um, You know, I think that, you know, like I had mentioned earlier, I was in that generation where, um, you know, we got antibiotics for every little thing, you know, and, and doctors are in a, they're in a hard spot. You know, they're being told, don't give them out like we used to, because every time someone is exposed to, a, you know, a bacteria, it's another opportunity for it to mutate and to learn. And every time, you know, someone takes it but doesn't finish the um, the antibiotics, you know, we've now created a situation where the strongest, you know, bacteria is surviving and going on to the next person. But at the same time, you know, you don't want to be the doctor that, didn't prescribe that back that ana- that antibiotic when they really needed it too. So I mean they're 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 stuck between a rock and a hard place there with that. Um, but you know we have um, we have some 
antibiotic resistance in things like E. coli and salmonella and um, uh, Klebsiella, which is something you get in the hospital, um, and pneumonia. And, um, you know, obviously, if you're in a hospital setting, you're not going to be using herbal you're not going to be using herbal remedies. They, they've, I mean, they're, they're taking over that, but, um, there, there are a lot of things that you can do for, um, various bacterial infections at home. Um, so I mentioned a couple of them already. So let's say an herb that, um, contains berberine as well as echinacea together. They, that makes a, they're, they're coming for me one more time. Man, you are up to something. I really am. Well, you I know, just still. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, my city made like the list of like most dangerous cities in the U.S. Really? So, yeah, it did. I'm not too thrilled about that. So, but you know, anyway. Um, all right. I, what was I saying there? Um, oh, antibiotics. So, um, but some. But when you mix berberine and um, echinacea together um, for um, local infections, so the, not the systemic ones, but when you can get it to come in contact with the tissue, that's the first thing you have to keep in mind is that you have to deal with either systemic or um, or um, local infections um, where they're, they're not going to uh, pass through the intestine. The intestine is where all of your um, nutrition is absorbed through, um, and you know, the various chemicals that might make something, uh, might make an herb antibiotic doesn't necessarily mean that it passes through that barrier. Um, and a lot of them do not. So sometimes when people say, oh, well, I have an infection, um, in my eye and I'm going to, you know, ingest, um, golden seal, um, well, you've done nothing but waste the golden seal because it's not going to do anything, um, for that. You, you need to get the herbs directly onto the tissue and I don't recommend that you take a tincture of that and squirt it in your eye. That's not what I, that isn't how I'd handle that. But, um, so let's say, um, you've got, very common infections, things like, um, MRSA. Um, you know, it, I, I would probably go with that, um, berberine and echinacea combo. Um, it, it, that can be quite effective. Uh, if you, um, if you have, like I was mentioning earlier about the urinary tract infection. So if you've got, uh, you want to put a blend of things together, um, you want to do, you know, uh, you want to maybe use um, something that contains berberine because, again, it doesn't pass that barrier. It's going to stay within the digestive and eliminatory system. So juniper along with that would be very helpful there. Something that's going to help um, support um getting the um, infection out, which would be like the dandelion that I had mentioned, because uh, then let's say something to soothe the tissues. So maybe something like um, corn silk tea or maybe a cold infusion of a marshmallow root or something like that to go along with it just to help, you know, move things out and to help the tissues heal and, and so on. You could do something like that for respiratory infections. Um, I had mentioned time earlier. Um, thyme and juniper and, uh, oh, there, there's a bunch of them that you could use, but let, um, just so that, um, not overloading people with stuff. Um, you could certainly do a steam inhalation and bring that right in. And for like, you know, more serious kinds of infections, um, 
well, I want to say more serious. Um, there have been a number, I've had a handful of occasions where, um, I've had clients who have had pneumonia. Now they should go to a doctor. Of course they should go to a doctor. I would not suggest that they don't go to a doctor, but one of them had already been and sent them home and said, you just have the flu. But if you listen to the lungs, you, if someone has pneumonia, it's got a very distinct sound. If you've got a stethoscope, do yourself a favor and listen to a healthy lung. And when people are sick, go listen to what their lungs sound like. Pneumonia has a very distinctive sound. It's like a washing machine. You can't, you can't, I don't know how this got missed, but you know, I can't diagnose somebody as having it. But if, if I were a betting woman, then I would bet that they'd had um, pneumonia. Um, And then there were a a couple of other people who just, you know, uh, their circumstances, they didn't have insurance, couldn't get to the, they, they couldn't afford to go to the doctor. So of course, you know, I'm the one that they see. So um, in that case, you could use, let's say essential oils through a diffuser, um, which, you know, you get an ionizing diffuser. It's like a nebulizer treatment and you're basically, you have this mist and it, it, it changes the oil um, through the um, through the device to be able to travel on the small water droplets as opposed to the large water droplets. But anyway, it gets into the respiratory system, and that's exactly where the tissues need that help. I wouldn't necessarily use thyme essential oil with a child, um, but with an adult, you know, that's something that I, I'd be perfectly comfortable doing. Um, so. So let me think. Um, what other infections can we can we look at? Oh, um, I think MRSA and and some of those are are probably the biggest concerns that we have. Um, let me see. What else? What else? Well, about um, infections. I mean, kind of moving forward, I wanted to ask you yeah. about your books. Uh, oh yeah, you've got two books: Preppers Natural Medicine and Prepping for the Pandemic. Uh, yeah, can you tell us a little bit about those? Sure. Um, Preppers Natural Medicine is the book that I wish that I had had when I first started studying herbal medicine, because I had to piece everything together. You know, like okay, well, how do I learn this skill? What does this word even mean? An electuary? I have no idea what that is. So. Um, you know, a tincture, what are these numbers? I don't understand. How are they measuring this? I had lots of questions and it took me a long time to piece together what on earth these all meant. So, um, I have a section in there that covers, um, like all the basics of herbal skills. I've got, um, so it's not quite as in depth as what I have. I've got some online courses on my website that, that go into it a little deeper, but, um, as far as a crash course in herbalism, that's what this book is. It's also got um, a, a Materia Medica, as it's a section of you know all the therapeutic benefits of uh, various herbs. There's about 50 different herbs that are detailed, and then it wraps up the um, book with a section in the back, which is all various formulas, various um, you know recipes that you can try. So, and it walks you through making a first aid kit. Um, and a bunch of other uh, remedies. So that way you, you get the skills, you learn um, about the, the, the plants. And I picked 50 different herbs that could be grown in most places around the United States. 
I mean, if you're in Alaska, then uh, you know some a lot of this may not grow, but um, most people should be able to to grow these. And um, then it wraps up with a okay, just so you can get comfortable working with them. Here is a whole section of various things that you you know of various recipes so to get you started. And then of course. No, take it from there and get creative with it and, um, you know, start experimenting. Then uh, Prepping for a Pandemic is it's an interesting book. This this takes a look at what happened in the Ebola pandemic and extrapolates from that what lessons we learned from there, because there are a lot of lessons that we could learn if we did have a pandemic that were to break out here. I'm not saying that Ebola is going to break out here, but let's say it, there was a, there was that fear. We had a great opportunity to learn from this tragedy. I and think the, the opportunity there was to see the way people freaked out. Exactly. It, like it was never something to really worry about. I was like, I am more worried about you dying tonight, slipping on the water in your bathtub because you don't have adhesive ducts on the floor. Than I am right. about Ebola for you, but look around and see what this is causing people to do. Exactly. Now we can look at what happened in West Africa, uh, how the various governments did and did not handle things. We can see, you know, what happened when, um, you know, they did impose martial law, and how long were these people willing to put up with that? You know, we can see what happened here, where people started losing their minds over things. You know, and we can see. I mean, like, for instance, we had, um, you know, we had, um, oh, uh, the head of the CDC there was blaming the nurses that they didn't have the right, you know, equipment on. And then the nurses union got all pissed off with that. And how dare you blame them? And there, there was a lot of factors going on. And then all of a sudden it got shut off in the media. You know, all of a yeah. sudden you couldn't find the stories anymore. You could if you went looking for them, but they were not. I mean, it was on the news like a marathon for for weeks, you know, and all of a sudden gone. And they our, you know, the the media got managed, you know, and that was that was the end of that. There were still some um, really bizarre stories that came out afterwards. We still don't know everything about this. Um, I mean, there's, there was a doctor who ended up with Ebola in his eye. You know, like years, like not like months afterwards, like how, what, you know, but anyway, the point is, is that there are a lot of lessons that we could learn about how did the medical community react um, here in um, where I live. I, I remember watching a, um, uh, it was a news bit, you know, where they were, uh, there had been a scare that somewhere in Brookline, this man came in with Ebola like symptoms. And um, as it turned out, he um, he had malaria or something, but he had Ebola-like symptoms. And he was he showed up at a clinic, and they transferred him to a hospital in Boston. And um, that next day, they had like these massive callouts, and people just did not want to go to work because he was there. So um, it's. It's interesting to see how things would play out. So now also over in West Africa, you got to keep in mind, if there were to be, an, a, you know, some type of a pandemic, that doesn't necessarily mean that you would die from that illness. So there were women um, who there was I remember a story of one woman who she'd had a number of home births. She was familiar with pregnancy. She knew that something wasn't quite right. She could not get a doctor to come out to her. Um, she ended up dying during labor. 
because nobody would risk coming out to deliver a baby. Delivering a baby is a messy deal. And they were very, they were, they were terrified of having all those fluids flying everywhere and potentially becoming infected. You could go to one of these clinics or one of these hospitals out in West Africa and, you know, and you, you could buy what we seen, um, in these, in these, um, these, these, I guess, holding areas, but I mean, you were, you know, what we would call a waiting area, a waiting room, because there were no beds. They were, they, they were never going to get in to see anybody, but that doesn't matter if you had the disease or if, let's say, you were having a heart attack or you had some other problem. You could have some other health, you could have some other problem um, that takes you out is you just can't get medical care during, you know, where you've got a hospital that's reached surge capacity and so is every other hospital around you. So, in there, one of the things I would say is try to stay that if the worst did happen and there were to be some type of, uh, and I don't know exactly what it would be, but if there were to be um, some type of a pandemic um, to happen in the U.S., that you don't need to go to the hospital and be prepared to handle whatever health care issues that you that you may need to that may come up at home. Um, unless it's something that's, you know, obviously beyond your skill level, you just can't, that can only be handled, you know, in a medical setting and hopefully, you know, they'll be able to see you. But anyway, um, that I take a look at the various lessons that you can learn from Ebola and there are a lot, um, or the Ebola outbreak, I should say. And then I go through, um, uh, my top picks for what the next great pandemic would be because if history has taught us anything, pandemics happen. And is it, 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 we don't know when, and there isn't a predictable cycle. You know, people say we haven't had one in a while, so we're due. Well, we don't know. We have, there's no, uh, there is no schedule. These things don't happen on demand. You know, there isn't like a, oh, well, you know, there are three years overdue, you know, that's going to be, you know, any, any year now. Um, these things, they happen when they happen. Um, but they do happen and they'll happen again. And we won't know what it'll be. You know, we don't know what it's going to be, but I've got a few really good guesses here, educated guesses on what those would be. And I break those down into, you know, what is the standard treatment for those things? And um, what if what herbal treatments are there if they exist? I mean, plague is one of them that I have in the book. And I'm sorry, I don't have any miracle cure for the plague. I wish I did. I don't. Um, and if I have to hear one more, oh, but thieves oil will cure that. No, no, it won't. <laughs> I'm telling you it won't. And, um, you know, so um, anyway, I mean, I wish I could say that, but I can't. Um, anyway, then um, I cover other things in the book also, like illnesses that tend to break out. Doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter what the cause of the calamity or disaster might be. Disease will follow a disaster. So you could have a pandemic and then things kind of fall apart. Hygiene falls apart and then there's going to be other illnesses that follow. Or it could be so you could have like this secondary sort of, a, you know, epidemics popping up, you know, various places due, due to lack of hygiene and such. Um, I cover that, but I also cover how to do a self-imposed reverse quarantine and what the reality of that would look like and, um, you know, how – you know, you know, it asks a lot of questions about, you know, how how would you handle, you know, um, you know, things in very like if you're in a city versus out in the country, things like that, because the name of the game when it comes to 
illness or that and a pandemic that's that, say a um you know that's transmittable from person to person then you know isolation is the name of the game there awesome so you also do herbal courses what do you offer online and what are some of the things that students learn in those courses okay so i have um I have some classes that, that will help you work towards getting an herbal certification. Um, the first one would be the Herbal Skills Intensive. It is an, like an eight-week herbal boot camp where you learn all kinds of herbal skills, um, the therapeutic properties of over 30 different herbs. And, um, you know, if you need more time than eight weeks, then that's fine. I mean, I'm not, you know, it, I mean, it's herbs. You know, I don't want anyone freaking out that, oh, my gosh, I didn't get my homework in. But there is homework. It's a challenging course, and it's something I'm, I'm very proud of. There, there are some other courses that are that are part of the program as well, um, but the, people would start there. Um, I also have another course coming up um, that I'm teaching in tandem with my friend Chuck Hudson, who is a former combat medic, EMT, paramedic, and and um, he has a um, a wound care course um, all based on his experiences in the army as, as an army medic. So um, that's, that's also going to be a, a fabulous course. And they, I have a burn care course up there that, um, that the information in there is all still valid. It needs a little facelift. Um, so I have, I, I reduced the cost on that um, when I, when I, when it, um, the newer version of it, it's all going to be the same information, but it, it'll look nicer, look prettier, shiny and all that. Um, it'll be a little bit higher, but um, burn care is, is another really good course that's on there as well. All right. So with those courses, we were talking and you said you have a, a discount code for uh, our listeners to be able to use on some of your courses. Yes, there, there will be a discount code. Um, they can get um, 20, uh, $25 off of a class. Okay, great. And we'll make sure we have that discount code in the show notes for people. And again, Kat, thank you for being with us. And uh, feel free to fill out the guest form. Come on back anytime you want to share more with us. Thank you so much. Okay, guys. So uh, I chatted with Kat after we had the interview and got the discount code. It's not real complicated. And this is for everybody, not just MSB members. Uh, anybody out there can use this discount code. It is SPIRCO, which is my name, all capital letters. Yes, I'm going to spell it because many of you do not know how to spell my name, even though it's only six letters. It is S-P-I-R-K-O, S-P-I-R-K-O. I say Sierra, Papa, India, Romeo, Kilo, Oscar. All capital letters will get you 25% off any of Cat uh, Ellis's herbal courses. All right, with that wrapped up, I want to remind you guys, one of the ways that you can help support the survivalpodcast.com is to do your shopping at tspaz.com. That's T-S-P-A-Z.com. Go to tspaz.com to do all your online shopping. And what you'll find there is a link where you can get on over to Amazon and see everything they have. And once you do that, you help support our work and a list of all of our reviews. And our review of the day is a product that I reviewed about a year ago, and it's just time for it again. It's the K&H Ultimate All-in-One Stock Tank De-Icer. Now, if you don't use water outside in the winter that you don't want to freeze up, uh, you probably don't need this. If you have livestock, you probably need this. What it is is pretty cool. It's a little electric heater, and it's got a little plastic thing around it so your animals don't cause any problems with it. It's a little foam, and it's a little float in the middle of a stock tank, and it's got a built-in switch. 
And when water hits 35 degrees, it comes on. And when water hits 45 degrees, it goes off. You can get it at 250 watts. You can get it at 500 watts. You can get 750 watts. You can get 1,000 watts. It's up to you what level you want. You can even get one up to 1,500 watts, depending on your needs. In the article, I tell you all about it. And I give you a chart that helps you, you know, figure out what size heater you need for your needs based on how much water you're trying to keep from icing up and the climate zone that you're in. You really need to check this thing out. When I put it out today, I put hashtag winter is coming. I'll be coming out over the next couple of weeks with more products specific to our needs in the winter as preppers, homesteaders, people that take care of livestock, permaculturists, etc. Because when it freezes, if you're not prepared, it makes your life miserable. And what was an inconvenience can become an emergency. This is one way to stop that. Also good for poultry water. So that little foam thing, you can take it out so it sinks. You put it inside your poultry water, it sits on the bottom, it prevents your poultry water from freezing up. Because even if the water on the top is de-iced, all your nipples and stuff can ice up by sitting down there at the bottom, keeping that water warm, it keeps them working and functioning. You need to learn more about this if you've had problems with icing in the past. Again, K&H, Ultimate All-in-One Stock Tank De-Icer, item of the day, you can find it at tspaz.com. That brings us to our song of the day. That brings us to our song of the day today. It's by Stephen Harris. No, no, it's actually Steve Harris and not StephenHarris1234.com, though I, I wouldn't be surprised if Stephen Harris has the domain IronMaiden1234.com and every other phrase that there is out there with a 1234 after it. But uh, Steve Harris was the bassist for Iron Maiden, who was a band that I loved as a kid, man. I loved as a kid. And there's still a lot of that sound to it, but it's much more kind of a, a maybe more of a softer sound. Um, I wanted to give you some of the lyrics. I, I'm really shot on my voice, guys. I'm just making it through this week, so I, I don't have a ton of commentary. But let me give you some of the lyrics on this. Can you recall now the way it used to be? Kicking at the world we didn't need to see. Just you and me. We were young hearts riding in the sun. We never felt the pain. This world was giving everyone. We could do anything and leave the rest behind. And nothing could stand in our way. The truth behind the lies. In the eyes of the young, I want to go back to my days, back to my yesterdays, when all my dreams were so real to the eyes of the young. And through young eyes, I was born to be a king. I didn't know just how, but I'd bring this world to its knees. And those days are gone. The truth is on the streets. In the killing fields of life, wasn't this that wasn't like this in my dreams. And as my father's words slowly fade away, well, those days are gone forever, only in dreams at night, in the eyes of the young. And as I'm waking late at night, with the memory that will never die, and the stars are shining like tears in my eyes, and I would give anything to see you again, can you hear me now? I hear you. Share my dream with me. There's a lot of different interpretations of this song, and I believe good music, good poetry always has many different ways that you can interpret it. There's kind of the direct way there of missing this lost love from the past, but the bigger view of you know, that world that was so optimistic when we're young, and as we learn reality, it becomes not so optimistic. But I see like another interpretation of this. It's not just that we learn the world isn't what we thought it was, that it's not so obvious that not every good guy wears a white hat and every bad guy wears a black hat, and the good guy doesn't always win, and sometimes the people that you really think are the right people do horrible things. It's not just that. 
What really changes is us. Those things are true whether we know it or not. And it, it, it is not that we shouldn't become aware of those things, but the side effect is we lose that kind of cocksure attitude of youth, which in some ways is good. It saves us from making more mistakes as we get older, but it also prevents us from taking the risks and doing the things that we need to do. And I think that's something that we all should be trying to get back a little bit. I don't actually want my teenage years back. Right? I don't want to be running around dead broke with a bunch of deadbeat friends. Who, even though I was dead broke, I had more than they did, so they all sponged off me. I don't want to be back in that little coal town again with nothing in front of me and, and just realizing I always knew I'd do something good, but I knew it wouldn't be there, and I didn't know what it was. I don't want to be in my 20s again struggling to get to where I am today. But there is a part of me that I always, maybe I don't say I want it back, I always try not to let that Jack Spearco go. That hunter. And I'm not just talking about deer. Right? That predator. That person willing to do whatever it takes to get done what needs to be done. To take risk. Maybe to do it a little more smartly than I did back then, but not be in fear of taking risks that I didn't even think twice about when I was 25 years old. The Eyes of the Young. With that, this has been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Help me figure out how to live that better life and find good stuff.